This is CliffCentral.com. Another 24. I gotta go because I got me a drop top. And if I hit the switch, I can make the ass drop. Had to stop at a red light looking in my mirror. Welcome to it, the Bounce Show. Back after a break last week. Sorry, we had some pressing, uh, pressing business on the morning show here on Cliff Central with the Gareth Cliff Show, which is back tomorrow, uh, nine, six to nine every single Monday to Friday. So yeah, I wasn't here last week and I couldn't get a pre-recorded interview with you for you. Sorry, but hey, back full steam ahead today. So much stuff. I mean, this what a show we got ahead. Firstly, Ice Cube to start with. Yeah, today's going to be a good day because Sean Wilson is back after a very long, long, long time. Now, Sean is, well, you know, I've said it before, probably my favorite rugby pundit to tap the brain of. And without doubt, he's only going from strength to strength. So Sean's got some interesting views to share with us today about Super Rugby. So much happened over the weekend around Super Rugby, so there's no better person to have than Sean here. We've got all the different headlines from the weekend. There was athletics, there was football transfer stuff, there was cricket thrashings. So much to get through and 11 days until the Olympics. So if you want a big hour of sport, you are in the right place. Welcome to it with me, Ben Kopinski, here on The Bounce Show on Cliff Central. And uh, if you are listening live, you're welcome to get in touch on WeChat. All you have to do is just go onto the Cliff Central official page on WeChat and then you can put a message through to me. It'll come up onto a screen. I will look out for it, I promise. Although I can't promise every single message will be read out because, well, you know, once we get started here, there's just so much to get into. Otherwise, just tweet me at Follow the Bounce. And if you aren't listening live, this is your podcast. Well, it shows that you are a very progressive person. You have podcasts in your life, therefore you're very smart. Good on you. Right, I don't know where to get in. So, uh, well, no better place just to play a little ice cube while I queue up the first clip of the week. And that is Usain Bolt coming back to action. I had the boo, she had the chronic, the Lakers beat the super sign. Felt on the big fat fanny, pulled out the jammy and killed the poo nanny. Right, so uh, Usain Bolt, he basically, um, Jamaican trials, he pulled out hamstring injury and then he said, look, I'm going to be good by the time the Olympics comes around. I just can't run the race. So what would happen to other countries? They go, well, tough shit, especially in America where they would say, well, if you can't win this one today, then you're not going to be in the Olympics. So he was given um, a special treatment because he's a very special athlete. And what happens, he goes his first race back after the hamstring uh, issue. He runs the 200 meters at the London Anniversary Games over the weekend. Here he is in place six. No problem this time. Edwards away and Bolt now steaming into the bend. And it's between those two at the moment. Jamili going well and on the outside. Hotel Rigo going well. Here comes Usain Bolt into the straight. And look on the inside of Danny Tolbert going well. But Bolt is away from this field. And he's being chased by Edward now. Bolt, Edward, Jamili and Hotel to 19.90. Job done. And once again, this man proves that at the right time in the right place he can win races so he has been short of race action but in front of about 50,000 people over the weekend well it's the balls of old he gets up it was a cock up in the race firstly there was a false start so someone got red carded then there was a technical false start so someone got green carded i don't know what that means but it happened so i'll put the whole clip up for you which you can go see on the bounce today after the show but Bolt's good. Bolt is always going to be so good. So guys like Gatlin and whoever else were criticizing the Jamaica's theory about the fact that you can give a medical um, exemption or whatever, well, screw you guys. You guys aren't the defending Olympic champions. You guys aren't the greatest athletes of all time. So people, whoever hates you saying Bolt, jeez, it's a very long list of pricks, I've got to say. I mean, there's, there's no right to ever knock this guy. He just keeps performing and keeps delivering. Will he perform in two weeks' time? Well, this is the big question here because there's other guys who really have raised their game. The sprinting, well, when you think about the, the event everybody wants to see at the Olympics, it's going to be the 100 and the 200. No one's really there for the triple jump, I promise. No one's really that bothered about the decathlon. But when it comes to the sprints, everybody wants to see Bolt. Speaking of which, you can actually get Bolt mojis now. This is the sign of how big this dude is. Uh, every other massive celebrity in the world has got them from Bieber to Kartrashians, all those people. You can now get Bolt Mojis. B-O-L-T-M-O-J-I-S. You type it into your Android or Apple Place, um, app stores. You'll be able to get Usain Bolt's emojis for all your social media sharing and stuff. How cool. Nice. Right. On to other big news. So, um, football wise, Tim Allardyce is officially the new English manager. He'll now get around three million pounds a year which is a big deal. And uh, 
it's not too hard to manage these guys, is it? The bar is so low. All you need to do is make sure you're not completely crap. And, uh, maybe you just get somewhere in a tournament for once. It's not, the expectations aren't too big. Decent player, player base and three million pounds a year for that. I would take it all day. It's about a million pounds more than what he's reportedly, reportedly getting at Sunderland. So it's a big step up for Big Sam, who can now go and buy more Louis Vuitton man bags, which I think is his, is his, um, is his want in life. Now, Man United and Pogba. This is like the big thing. Okay. Everyone's talking about that right now. Is he going? How much is he going for? And we all know that Pogba wants to go. Juventus is saying, cool. Go ahead, but we need a certain amount of money. Now, big money stakes here because Juventus just bought Higoin, who was basically um, uh, Lionel Messi's favorite footballer. Now, Higoin was bought for a stupendously large amount of money, 90, 90 plus million euros for that guy. I don't know why if that's, but hey, I mean, who are we to talk? You know, crazy money goes for crazy people sometimes. But now what they're saying is that they want to sell Pogba for around a hundred and uh, thirty hundred, yeah, hundred thirty euro million euros. So what's what uh, Man United have done is they've given a big, big offer, but they're ten million euros short apparently, according to Juventus. So they say he's yours, but just make sure you get the asking price. So look, you're so far in. Um, you know, Mourinho, he's already kind of to put a metaphor to that. He's already taken her out twice for dinner. He definitely wants a third date, does Mourinho. So I don't think he's going to skimp now. The, you know, we we spoke about last week on the Gareth Cliff Shabbish money, just that Man United did actually get in. I think it's something like $220 million a year just on the shirt before anything else. So they can afford him, and they will afford him, and they will get him. But the big story around the football right now at Man United is that tonight they play Man City, uh, Monday here, the 25th of July. They play Man City in this Beijing tournament and that's going to be the first confrontation with the new clubs for Pep Guardiola and um, Jose Mourinho that's going to be very very interesting into Formula 1 and uh, Lewis Hamilton won at the Hungarian Grand Prix so what does that mean well nothing new really because you expect uh, Mercedes to win so you can actually just call him the Hamburg because Hamilton always wins or Rosberg so Hamburg 1 and 2 again and some interesting stats on this now we all know that the the Mercedes dominance has been crazy good, right? They've got the best car. They just don't know what they're doing. So uh, Jason Nickel, a uh, guy who follows me on Twitter, JasonDN78, he said, like, there's some very interesting stats around this. Since the start of the 2014 season, there's been 49 races. Merck drivers, 42 wins, 26 finishes as one and two, and 46 podium places. So 95, sorry, 94% of all races, there's a Merck driver basically being sprayed or, being, or spraying um, champagne. That's just crazy dominance, huh? Another thing that's kind of very dominant is this Team Sky in the Tour de France. Now, Freeman's now got his third Tour de France. I don't know. It's kind of boring, isn't it? It's like you kind of expect with a team that is that good, you got guys around him. Froome, no doubt, a tremendous cyclist. Um, let's just not even touch on the doping. We're talking about the fact that this guy's now won three Tour de France's. Impossible to beat once you get into a certain position. It would be so cool to see. I know this is never going to happen, but this is just my sporting romanticness coming through. Wouldn't it be cool if, like, Formula One or um, Tour de France in particular, they were just individual cyclists just having a go? You know, it would be a lot more interesting. I think it would be a lot more interesting as far as what's going to happen later on because we just know Mercedes as a team are going to win, right? So you've you got either Rosberg or Hamilton. Um, in cycling, that team Sky is so good. They've got so much money. One of them is going to win. There's no way that Froome wasn't going to win. But if he was man, man alone, how cool would that be? Every race he has to fight for fight for a, a win or just getting up that close. I think that would be a very cool addition to the sport. And if it is dying, well, there's no sort of progression thing to look into. In test cricket, well, the West Indies took an absolute hammering against the Indians. Um, well, you don't want to see this, but at the same time, this is what's going to start happening in test cricket more and more, I reckon, as the gulf between the rich teams and the poor teams come into it. India... They're rich. West Indies, they're not rich. So an innings and 92 runs victory for the rich team. And um, yeah, there's nothing more I can really say about that. Uh, Ashwin got 100 with a bat and he got loads and loads of wickets with the ball. Uh, Kohli got 200 as well. And the Windies, they just got nothing. They've got nothing. They can try and they can try guts things out, but they've actually got nothing. Another sort of very one-sided test match, which is a massive difference from the first test. England, rich team, are hammering Pakistan, a poor team. They got 589, did the rich English. Uh, Roots top scored with a mammoth 200-plus score there. And, uh, well, they didn't enforce the follow-on after getting Pakistan out for 198. So England literally are just on top with, like, both feet in the throat here. The rain may save Pakistan, but I wouldn't exactly... um, uh, I, I wouldn't exactly 
sort of call on it. But speaking of bad weather, Andrew just got a semi message now saying that the, the game between Man United and Man City tonight has been cancelled due to bad weather. So obviously lots of rain in China. Yep, that's pretty much all your headlines for the week. Uh, nothing else really to get into. Like I said, 11 days until the Olympics. The Olympic Village isn't quite ready yet, so the Aussies are going to be staying in hotels until it happens. It's the same old, same old, really, with these big events. They have these uh, villages in, and then someone didn't do a good job in the plumbing. Uh, there's water running somewhere. There's no insulation in the bathrooms. Who knows? But, I mean, I'd love to say it's a, non, it's a non-event, but there's just so many negative stories around this Rio Olympics. It'd be nice to see something happening. Apparently, when all said and done, this Olympic village is going to be like the best Olympic village of all the Olympic villages. It's really stunning. It's in Rio, obviously. So you've got the ocean. You've got mountains. You've got forests. You've got all kinds of great things. Rio is really pretty. As long as you aren't next to any sewerage, uh, knife criminals, or uh, mosquitoes. Take away those three elements. It's a great place to be. It really is. So that's all you're going to get for headlines. We're going to come back after this with Sean Wilson talking Super Rugby. But to get into that, we're first going to present to you the second best rugby pundit in South Africa, and that is Nick Mallet, talking about the conference system, Stormers drubbing, and a few other things. What we've been saying all along is is that uh, it's a strange uh, format that allows the Brumbies to play at home and the Stormers to play at home when they've got fewer log points than the, the two New Zealand sides who they face. Yeah. And the Chiefs have been you know, log leaders all the way through the season. They have a terribly difficult um, local derby that knocks them from first down to third. Yeah. They've got to come to the Stormers. They put 60 points against the Stormers today. 60 points on them, seven or eight tries, I'm not sure. I mean, if that doesn't show the gulf between the standards of the competitions, the New Zealand log, the way they've got their teams operating, and... Australia is, is, is very, they're very poor at the moment, but we are closer to Australia than we are to New Zealand, apart from the Lions. The Lions are a good side. I mean, this morning, the Sharks, you know, were, were terrible. We're just mm. terrible. And uh, to travel all the way over there and be beaten 40 points to nil, you can't be positive about that. It was just poor rugby, and they played with, without the conviction or the intensity that you want from your players at this stage of the season. You look at this uh, chief side and the New Zealand derbies, the New Zealand games, there's so much intensity, physicality, skill, speed, intelligence, but passion and enjoyment. And it looks like we're not enjoying it, except for the Lions. I yeah. keep on going back to the Lions, are a team who enjoy their rugby. They, they've, they've learned to play the way that the New Zealand teams have played over the last three years. And uh, they are bearing uh, the fruits of, of their hard work. So great stuff for the Lions. I'm so proud of them. It's been what we've been talking about for so long. The future of South African rugby is moving more towards the way the Lions play and not uh, you know, these two performances from the Sharks and the Stormers. Well, I'd like to say that's where SS Rector Rugby is going is towards the Lions. And there's no better person to talk about all of this than Sean Wilson. Before we get into that, just quickly on the messages again. Uh, Mandela has quite a lot to say on WeChat this morning. Mandela, my boy. Uh, Mandela, I, I totally agree with everything you said, basically. You say here the level of mediocreness, mediocreness, sorry, from SS sports teams, unbelievable. Tired of shite comments from the Sharks and Stormers like, we'll come back next year. I totally agree, Mandela. It's so easy to say that, but the problem is, there's just so much crap right now. Easy to say, oh, we'll be better next time. Sounds like something like the ANC says all around with their election stuff. Uh, all teams played cuck and what the spring lions, well, the lions obviously, they're the exception. And maybe we should get some New Zealand skills coaches in. Again, perfect point. And then lastly, he says that we should all watch the amazing preseason documentary about the hurricanes to give us an idea and understanding of why these guys are so good. So much to think about. So many obvious things though, hey, Sean. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. As to well, everything. Great to be back. I've been trying to get Sean in the studio for quite a while, but he's a very busy man. And he's doing a lot of great things in sport as it is. <laughs> but there's just there's so many obvious things right now. And Nick Mallet obviously teased them up, and then the rest of the country can say it. I mean, say what you want about Nick Mallet. The guy at least has a, a finger on the pulse of what's going wrong here. So, Sean, like I said, there's so many obvious things here. I've got a whole list of things I want to try to touch on with you, but... You know, we'll see how the conversation goes. I think the the thing everyone was talking about this weekend on the back of those one-sided matches for the Sharks and uh, the Stormers is the format. Now, we've all been crapping on about it for ages. We all said this terrible the Stormers don't play any sort of New Zealand sides. And it, it really just showed because they run into that Chiefs match was 
the might of the Sunwolves, I think the Kings, um, Rebels, Force. Yeah, it was it was the Rebels, Force, and the Kings after the international break that the Stormers had as a run-in for the final for the quarterfinal against the Chiefs. Yeah, and they took sixty um, at home. Okay, so let's just touch on the format quickly without going too much into it. Is it about having tiered systems? Uh, Skulk Berger basically said we must scrap it. Let's go back to round robining. Is that the only way, or is there still maybe we should give this format a couple of years and maybe things will balance out? Well, there's two ways to attack this for me where the problem lies is, is it's also not necessarily the lopsidedness that you get with the rugby. It's the, it's the product itself just, just chanting itself more and more away from the viewer is, which is what we've seen throughout the years that the product itself, the attendance figures are down. Yeah. The viewership figures are down. It's abs- you know, it's been a dog show off the field as much as it's been on the field as well. Well, the Stormers couldn't even get 30,000 on the yeah. weekend. And that was before they took 60 points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Granted, it doesn't help that both South African rugby and Australian rugby domestically are in a bit of a mess. Call it transition. Call it a mess. Give it any excuse slash reason that you want. Call it Euros. No, that doesn't yeah. help. But the fact is that the Sanzo has created a system which has just gotten more and more unpopular. The previous Super Rugby format where we first had a foray into the conference system showed this growing trend which has only been magnified by 18 teams now being included. So now it's a case of what is non-negotiable for what Sanzar can deal with in their parameters. What seems to be non-negotiable is that no team can play, is that teams can't play more than 15 or 16 games before the knockout phases because there just aren't enough weeks in the rugby year. So that's going to have to be. So if you're going to have 18 teams. There aren't enough functional knees (laughs) in the union. So, so if you're going to have 18 teams and we can look at the, and, and we can look at whether we need 18 or not for a moment. If you're going to have 18, so obviously we can't have a system where it's just around Robin of everyone playing everyone once because there isn't enough rugby. Yeah. There aren't enough weeks for that time for rugby. Yeah. Now, if you do do it on a two tier structure, that now we could be talking. You could even possibly talk of extending teams. Everyone seems to look at, you know, we, we foray into Argentina, which could, of course, not just grip the country itself, but the whole of South America as well, yeah. which I think is underrated. But that's been one of the reasons why the Jaguars have been particularly disappointing for me is how they haven't grasped the opportunity with a team that should be performing a lot better than it has. Um, and the Sunwolves as well. Uh, even to an extent, I mean, the Sunwolves have had the, f- I think it was the top five sides in the Japanese league made their players unavailable for the Sunwolves. It's, it is still a massive performance for growth, which I think shouldn't be ignored. And I do think teams like those need patience. Yeah. But for the overall dilution of the tournament, can we look at a two-tier structure? And is it going to be feasible for Sansar to actually pitch? Because it's all very good well to say, of you and I to say here, like, well, let's ditch the conference system and let's have two divisions, let's say, and they battle our promotion relegation. It all makes sense on paper. Does it make sense for the sponsors? Not necessarily so. Um, you're going to have a lot of unions voting you're going to have a lot of turkeys voting for Christmas if you're going to have a, a system where people agree to get relegated every year as exactly. well, you know, especially in places like Australia where franchises like the Force and the Rebels were created from scratch. Yeah. To be able to get those teams in a position where they've got to approach sponsors and say, you know what, guys, we might not be in the top tier next year. It's not actually a feasible scenario for them if you think about it. So that is where Super Rugby has got itself. I think it's cornered itself in that situation. And for the moment, I can't see the format changing for the next uh, couple of years, I think I think I think it's been nailed on for five years. This current format, this being the first of the five, yeah. and I don't think it'll change before that. And I think it's a case of having to make the, mo- the most of it for now. But I guess I mean, you try to get minor victories here towards you know big change. It doesn't happen because these things are put into statutes of limitations or whatever it is. But like the local derbies, do the teams have to play each other twice? I mean, that's just people say we need it's, more local derbies. I got to be honest with you. I like SA rugby. I like these teams. I've grown up with these teams. I don't need to see them play all every weekend. That's the thing is I, I think that's an example of a horrible analysis of the figures where Sanzar have not had their finger on the button yeah. of what the rugby fan wants because it's not just in South Africa where that crops up. It's in Australia, it's in New Zealand and believe it or not, Australia as well. Like yeah. the Australian public have clamored out and said that they actually want to see more derbies. Heaven knows why. Maybe they're probably putting the kids to sleep in that country or something but <laughs> that uh, but the only reason we watch them is because the rivalry is fueled more so Sanzar looks at it and goes well the figures for the derby are of the derbies around all three of the major countries are the best therefore we should have a system that creates more of them mm. whereas the only reason that they are watched the most is because that's where it's rivalry on rivalry and same time zone on same time zone yeah. looking at each other so it's it's just because that's the little perfect match. and obviously like you can't, I think you should divorce bragging rights that a South African rugby fan, for example, wants against other provincial teams 
versus the interests of the competition in general, which well, is where I think they've missed the mark. We just showed. I mean, the Stormers have got more conference trophies, I think, than anyone else. But what does that really mean? Ooh, I mean, I don't think they've been, even been used as paperweights. Is, 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 yeah, is there anything? I, I, is there anything more shallow than the Africa Conference One trophy right now? <laughs> you know, I really. What, what is that doing in Western Province right I'm now? I'm pretty sure. I hope it's in the restaurant and it holds the mints at the front desk. Uh, That's what I want that trophy to be doing. Cash Converters Access Park right now. You'll probably <laughs> find that conference trophy there. You'll probably get it for less than the grand as well okay so look that's that format thing you know we've we've been hammering on about it all season long i just think it's as you say the big changes aren't going to happen but they've got to be that's, realistic yeah that's that, that's been the one thing about this as well is i don't think we have been hammering it on all season long we hammered about it last season when this was True. pitched and True. we saw it beforehand so i think we kind of have to accept what surprised me slightly i suppose everything goes up in the playoffs but surprised me slightly is everyone coming out and says well this vindicates how stupid the conference system and we've known this forever <laughs> sans have known that we know this forever and they keep telling us you know we had a prime example of this last year as well the Stormers had the seventh most points in in Super Rugby last year but were treated as third place on the log as well only to get whipped in their home playoff which seems to be the yearly routine that happened seven out of eight so so, um, for anyone to kind of do themselves a favor lose the surprise element to it you know yeah okay well just to get just touch on the um, results from the weekends okay it started off with the Brumbies hosting the Highlanders despite being nine points behind them on the log and in all fairness quite a flattering result there for the Brumbies the Highlanders had most of the play uh, it was always going to be a cold and horrible night in Canberra so much so they tried to lure people with meat pies yeah the losing an bonus actual, pie I call it <laughs> an actual story there and they had Pocock back so he was going to make things easier for them but the Highlanders they won um, there was a very controversial TMO called not given for the Brumbies mm. there which was would have resulted in a try and potentially a win and that didn't happen so the Highlanders go through okay very good they deserve to be in the semis they're a great they're a great side basically all the top four new zealand teams deserve to be in the semis just the blues who had a shocker then it was the hurricanes versus the sharks in awful conditions and i think it was like 13 nil at half time and some people mm. thought that if the wind is going to be behind the sharks it's going to go well no it went terribly 41 nil the end there and look the sharks have had a terrible terrible year from injuries to key players they lost a lot of seniority you know you lose a guy like marcel could see it early on lambie hasn't been in there Reinach also gone you lost the the Duplessis brothers say what you want about them they create a solidity there so is Gary Gold the right guy I'm in an R-ing, uh off the field with the CEO of John Smith it hasn't been a good year for the Sharks I mean that literally game against the Hurricanes it was almost like a bonus but it was a slap in the face at the same time which then got us into the big games for the weekend locally of course and the Lions beating the Crusaders there 45-25 that game was pretty close for a long time and then Chiefs that Combrink try in the second half that just just showed you how good the Lions really are. And then Stormers, yeah, they scored 21 points, which is quite a lot against a team as quality as good as the Chiefs. The only problem is they conceded 60. So, Sean, first up, there's just no, no real surprises there. These are the four results that we all kind of expected, right? Yeah, they were. I think you would go into it. You would say that maybe the, not the margins, but those are the results. <laughs> definitely not the margins, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say those are the three results. You'd pick those three New Zealand sides, and I think the majority of us would have picked the the Lions to beat the Crusaders at yeah at uh, Emirates Airline Park, as it's called now. As indeed, well. indeed. So that leaves us yeah. with semi-finals of Hurricanes versus Chiefs nine thirty-five on Saturday, and Lions versus the Highlanders three o'clock on Saturday as well. So, so on the big question, and it's been one that has been dis- discussed, disputed, uh, fought over was the strategy of the lions okay now the the moment this happened because i i'm just i'm very impatient as a rugby fan and i hate the fence sitting and the umming and the ring and we'll do better next time when i saw johan ackerman change 15 basically send an entire different team to argentina i thought well done this guy's got balls and you know what this is actually the right decision because i can't see these guys traveling with the rigors that go along with that and even if they do have a home final, they're going to get to that final and they're going to be so spent. So it's a 50-50 call, one which I would say 51-49, just on pure ability to judge your players. Of course, if you throw that opinion on, on Twitter, you and your kin will be crucified at the stake and burnt. Now, you were of the opinion that Ackerman has made the wrong call here. If you just get your top line yes, thinking yes, on that. Yes, 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 it was. Yes, it was. Uh, for instance, for one thing, uh, for one thing, interesting enough, research shows when Ackerman made that decision beforehand. If, if anyone's interested on the Twitter, of the Twitter well, I'm always interested split, in facts, yeah. The split was 63% for and was 37% against. That was this African function before the game took place. Obviously, that got skewed after the yeah. Hagawari's result. Now, I, I criticize it in the sense that 
Uh, you know, I know, as with many people, I put a premium on home finals in this tournament, especially sure. with the conference format and how good New Zealand teams are on the rough. Because if you're hosting a home playoff these days, the odds are much higher that it's not going to be a derby as well. Unless so, it's Stormers. So no, yeah, well, that's the thing as well. I mean, knowing that as the Lions side as well, if you're going to be top of the log, let's, let's, let's face it, you know, it's not being disrespectful to the opposition. You know, it's not going to be a South African side. It's going to face you in the final. Yeah. And you know that someone's going to have to fly to you to get one. So that, so that aspect of let's avoid the flight back to Argentina, because of course the main argument seems to be it's not so much the game itself. It's more the flight back and the flight Eastwards, that yeah, manages I've, to get. I've done that trip because you can't just fly into Yagawada's country. You got to go via Brazil, and it's just horrible. The airports, the infrastructure, everything's cuck. Yeah, and all that time in transit this time of year. Obviously, the chance of getting colds and flus is really high. Um, just general fatigue, exhaustion, lack of preparation. Yeah. Just, just knowing that, and it's a big deal transporting a team of rugby players around. No, I get that, and which is which is going to be the case if they play in a final as well. And, well, I mean, that's not a done deal, of course. It's not a done deal that they will be playing a final in New Zealand, but it is the most probable. And of course, it is out of, it, that is a situation that is out of their hands. Yeah. That's the one thing that can't be disputed. The it Lions, with be. that loss, put it out of their hands. So yeah. if they get a home final from this point, it actually has got nothing to do with something that was done by the Lions, if that makes sense. You know, there'll be a situation out of the Lions and Johanna Kamen's control if they get one. But that, I, I guess there's always going to be an element that's going to be out of your control. I mean, the schedule, going back to the stupid format, the fact that you've got to go and play against the Jaguarath one week out from the, no, no break whatsoever. Cause in the past, the, the, the function was you finish top two, yeah. you get a home semi, other team stick around for the quarter to try to like face you. There was no gap. Okay. So you're going straight from a full season into this thing, into straight back into quarters, which is again, you're on a high rate to nothing here. No, absolutely. And it's, of course, this is not just the Lions where this is affected as well. No, the Highlanders have just played four games in four countries and are about to play their fifth, <laughs> not in the second one in a row. So if we want to talk about travel schedules, yeah. then in back, the fact right. that they're in the semifinals would be miraculous. Yeah. So I, I guess the, the point is that it's never yeah. completely in your hands. I think the Hurricanes well, have had a bit more fortuitously in that they can finish their campaign strong. They've got six, yeah. six wins in a row now and they, it's all in their hands. Yeah. But you say it can't completely in their hands. One thing that is in someone's hands is, home final if they get there for the Hurricanes right now. And that could have been in the Lions situation as well. So that is the one thing that could have been in their control. But that could have been iffy in a semi. Yeah, look. Yeah, but iffy in a, they could be iffy in the semi on Saturday as well, you know. That, that, no that way. They're, not, they're solid gold. No. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but Sean, I, I don't think we know. should waste time in disputing this. I, I think we're both right and we're both wrong. I, I'm for yeah. that thing. I, uh, but one, one thing I want to say, I have found the whole incident very interesting, Hugely. the way that the whole public has Massively. known it. And props to Johan Ackman for being forward thinking and pragmatic and trying to do something different. I applaud energy like that completely. Yeah. Yes, I think it might have been the wrong decision, but I do like the energy around thinking differently. Well, precisely, because I, as much as I will acknowledge your points and at the same time I want to kind of champion my ones, I think the bottom line is here that Johan Ackerman has said you know what guys we're all going to win this in my mind this is the only way we can do it unfortunately not ideal but this is our road to winning it agreed agreed of course so, he only made the decision to try to give them to what he thought was the best chance of Lions to win the tournament and this is a guy who's been with this team for three years four years so benefit of the doubt maybe let's go with that one but what I do want to talk about on this whole Lions format the way they've gone about it is that I mean, if you picked up some pretty key differences, you know, there's some obvious ones again, but if you picked up some pretty key differences, just in a general, like, squad around why the Lions are so much more superior than the other SA teams. Nick Mallett touched upon the fact that the only team that looks like they're enjoying themselves right now. But, you know, yeah. people said, obviously, that's the fact this team has not been sort of fractured with, with block call-ups, uh, that kind of stuff. The, the fact they come from a low base and every single time they do something, it's progress. What have been the key standouts for you in this Lions team and why they're just so much better? Well, there's lots here. Let's start from the starting factor that you want to point out of Nick Mallett saying of the guys look like they're enjoying their rugby. Or it just yeah. doesn't look like the other one has. So a whole squad culture's developed around that. No, there, were some lo- this, there were some low shoulders in that Stormers team yeah. afterwards. Yeah. And let's work on a second point that I read you make in the week is that one thing you enjoy about the Lions is that they've been beating sides in the way that New Zealand sides used to beat us. Well, that, the Crusaders game would Prime example of that, yeah. yeah. And then let me, and then let me work on what I would think would be a point that I would put forward is not only are the Lions the best African side right now, I don't think the gap between the top South African side and the rest has been as big as it is now. Sure. I so, can't remember it either. Not even the Bulls in their heyday would have done this exactly. in our lifetime and go back to the 1870s. I can't think of it. I want to touch on some other little facts of why the Lions. So let's look at why the Lions play. Well, let's look at stats that represent the Lions doing what we want to see. 
South Africans doing. Lions are top on Super Rugby stats this year. They are top on meters made. Out of not the South African teams, all teams, meters made on rugby field with ball in hand. Lions oh, are brilliant. top. They are top of defenders beaten. And so and the South African sides are on the bottom two of all this. Some of them made the playoffs is on the bottom two of all that. For defenders beaten. And they have the, and what rugby's all about. They have the joint most tries. They have that they share that with the Chiefs. Imagine if the Stormers were slightly less generous on the weekend. They would have been ruling that one <laughs> outright. So wow. in terms of meters made with the ball, defenders beaten and joint top scorers. Now if I want to look at defenders beaten and look at that, the two leaders for defenders beaten are Jakob Kriel, who's the top South African in that department, and Ruan Kombrink. Now, if you look at the two styles and the two jobs and the two roles and positions of what those players do, I mean, Jakob Kriel is beating defenders. A lot of them is breaking through tackles. Ruan Kombrink is doing it as an outside back running more into space. So yeah. they have different ways of beating players. So it's a very varied in their attack that they're able to use. A stat I find particularly depressing as a South African, which should outline what they're doing, what, uh, what other South African teams aren't. Uh, the Lions are second in the tournament in terms of carries, so ball in hand the bottom four teams are all South African in that department all of them so it's not just like it's the Kings that the just don't ones, get yeah. the position it's like the Bulls and the Storms and the Sharks they, they are all ball in hand just simply encouraging ball in hand which I think has been a lot of the Lions success in the first place everyone bangs on about when they compare New Zealand rugby and South African rugby oh the lack of skills not done in the basics blah blah and I agree with that to an extent yeah. but give these guys a game plan where they'll be able to execute such skills they will improve on them I think it's an awful awful mindset we have in this country that a guy who's in his mid-20s can't improve his skills when it comes to handling and stuff I think it's utter nonsense and I think the Lions are a fantastic example of that because when they when Yahanakaman came about they weren't nailing an offload game completely of course not. and at times in the results they had some encouraging times and because the Lions had hit rock bottom they were very patient with with a certain resurgence and we weren't giving them that pressure on results. I think that's another lesson that South African rugby should learn because it's a similar situation happened to the Bulls a while ago. The 2000 Bulls ended Super Rugby winless. Yeah, and only that. from that rock bottomness did they build a title-winning side. South African sides must not reach such rock bottom but to realize they have to change things. And the last point, Ben, that I want to look at, I want to flip over those attack stats with their defensive statistics. We all look at you know, all the adage of Ben you build from a solid defense, etc. The Lions are only 11th when it comes to a tackle success rate in the tournament. They tackle the 11th best defender, the worst of anyone in the playoffs. They can't even make the top half of a wow. extended super rugby when it comes to successful tackles. And they've conceded more points and more tries than all the playoff sides and the Sharks and the Bulls and the Lions, who mm-hmm. would be the top contenders of the South African teams. So, I mean, it goes to show that they're doing it Completely not off a base of a solid defense. It also shows that they can improve as well. Exactly. They can play with the same styles and there's more room for improvement. I think that in their exit rugby, it's a scary prospect. But those would be the ideas that I would think in a very long-winded way, why uh, the Lions are doing what they're doing. It's, it's spot on. But a couple of other things that come to mind is that um, if you look at how many tackles being made, if you look at the tackle stats, now when you've got the ball in hand, I haven't ever seen a guy running with the ball and tackling someone at the same time. It hasn't happened in rugby yet. That's because it doesn't happen. If you got the ball, you know what to do with it. You yeah. wouldn't make so many tackles. No, well, no, well, look, look, look at fairness. That's a pure tackle percentage. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. no amount of tackles. Yeah, I'm just saying that. Uh, but, but, uh, but yes, but also when you got ball in hand, you're, op- you're entertaining a more open play. Like yeah. it's high scoring at Ellis Park for opposition exactly. because it's a more open game. The lines are encouraging. But it's just to get, to go back to the Stormers and I hate to be, signal them out, but they're a team that's had a lot of injuries. Same with the Sharks. Mm. These are teams that basically they love tackling. Now when you tackle someone, you get a lot more wear and tear in your body than when you're running through air. Okay, so there we go. Absolutely. Small little things here can be taken out the whole time. You're clever with the ball. You're clever with how you manage your players because a lot less can, bad things can happen to them in that respect. There's just so much we can learn from this Lions team, and it really is quite encouraging. But just to look at Saturday's match, you know, all those stats that you said there about the being a great attacking side, the Crusaders actually beat them on those 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 elements. But the other elements of the, of the Lions came into it. Now, we saw earlier in the season, and this is why I, I knew the Lions were going to win. Okay, Earlier in the season, Crusaders went there. The, um, Lions tried to play way too much rugby. A couple of fumbles here and there. Crotty scored, I think, three tries in the day. This team is much smarter, okay? So it shows us a re-adapting is working on its feet. You didn't see that over the weekend. You saw them being a lot more consolidated. They took their chances bloody well. And then when the Crusaders played too much rugby, Lions scored. I mean, it's, it was it was beautiful to see how it's like the the student becoming the master kind of situation, mm. and it was it was so cool, and that's why I've got full faith in this this team. I mean, I, I reckon they could even go through the Hurricanes and do something. I really do. 
And and that's just not a hangover from the weekend. I genuinely <laughs> believe this. I know. I genuinely think it would be a good game if 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 it was reversed. If it was at Ellis Park, I would say almost one hand on the trophy for the Lions right now. To be honest, but I am inca- I, I am very encouraged by it. And let's look at and. I'm also, because also on a domestic level as well, this has been breeding for quite some time in terms of yeah. how they've dominated South African rugby for a while. Remember, they just also came off an un- 100% carry cup record as well, yeah. where they thrashed Western Province in the final. Yep. Yes, a lot of people can look at that and say, well, the, a part of that sort of dominance was down to Heineke Mayer not picking any lines for his World Cup squads for all the guys who were available. But the fact sure. is the winning culture that has gone there has just run the show. And the fact that it's done at Ellis Park as well, which would be the most suitable venue for um, for rug, for the way that the rugby is going at the moment, the way we're going to compete with the All Blacks in the future, if we're going to get back up to that level, because that's been because they've just been since two thousand and nine, I would say, ever since we won the rugby championship, the, the All Blacks have just been progressing and progressing at a rate of running rugby and high tempo rugby yeah. that um at a rate that we just can't catch up with in terms of with the improvement of the game. So if every so at least at least where it looks. Quite doom and gloom, to be honest, when it comes to South African rugby franchises and unions. At least we do have a light where domestically they're going to have to figure out how to compete with the Lions. And in figuring out how to compete with the Lions, they'll probably follow trends of how to be successful in modern rugby, which is different to seven years ago when the Bulls were dominating everything and the other teams had to improve trends of areas of the game where world rugby was moving away from, if yeah. that makes sense. Well, it is. It's, this is why I got, I still have hope is because in the past I'd be like, oh, it's just the New Zealanders. They're so much better. But here we have SA guys setting an example within our structures. So the other guys just have to say, like, look, the Lions are, as you said, there's never been such a massive gulf between the best SA team and the next SA team. Because right now it's the Lions and it's the rest. I would even waste time to try to say, oh, the Storm was better than the Sharks, who were better than the Bulls, who were better than the Sharks, whatever. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just why bother? Put all three of those teams in the same bracket. Exactly. They're just a team that's you not might doing as well. And, on an analytical point of view, just do that. And then the Kings will just get rid of Cheeky Watson, maybe yeah. balance the books first before you have any entertaining thoughts about around rugby. Yeah. So, um, shit, I've lost my train of thought. I was going to ask something very important back at that. Okay. Anyway, the key word you used there as well, patience. We need to learn from the Lions and the fact that there was a long time of them having like maybe 30 guys at his park. Mm. And, you know, guys as amazing as Combrink and Creel and Whiteley running out to very little other than maybe a chilling um, pyramid and that guy in the Lions costume. So these guys are, these guys know the hard yards. They've been through that. We as fans and everyone else has to actually learn from that For as well. One thing I'd like to know. It's been the same guy in the Lions costume throughout. I hope it has, and now he's reaping rewards and pulling off his cartwheels in front of tens of thousands exactly. now. Exactly. That would be, you know. Yeah. Well, Sean, I'm not going to get into the semis um, with you because it's early in the week, and we're going to get bombarded with that throughout in the media mm. off that. The big question, the big talking point after this naturally is, is now what Alistair see it does. Now, this guy's job, we knew from the start, is bloody difficult. It's hugely impossible, actually. But now... I just got another message from um, from Mandler here. I uh, just see his, his smiling face pop up. Mandler's got a, a fair point here. Like, well done to the Lions, but how about the transformation stats? Now, this is something that we obviously can't touch upon right now because it's another conversation. Our time is limited. Mandler, it is a fair point because when it comes down to it, Lions are going to be incredible. And it's a good series. Probably major main mandate here is transformation, okay? So you got guys like uh, Marks, the hooker from the Lions, Mm. You tell me straight face, is there a better hooker in SA right now? The answer is pretty much no. You've got, um, you have to pick Yucca Creel. How do you leave that guy out of the box, box set up right now? Um, Combrick obviously has to start. And then you go through that team and you think, Mustard's got to come in. That guy's just faultless. His work rate's ridiculous. Uh, Riddling has, you definitely has, has to be mm. in there. There's so many different, different players from the Lions that are actually non-negotiable now. Whereas in the, during the Irish series, it was like, okay, cool. These guys are playing. Now you look back on it, there's even more Lions players that have to be included. Yeah. So Alex Castillo again, you know, just when you thought the Irish test was difficult enough, this guy's now an even worse situation to get into because you, this Lions team is almost looking like a box 15. Absolutely. And, and it is rough as well because obviously you do know that Super Rugby is different to Test Rugby as sure. well. And so while there are guys in form in Super Rugby, Alistair Katsia is still trying to, trying to figure out the style that he wants to play as exactly. a Springbok Rugby coach as well. Don't forget he didn't have long to prepare for the Irish gig. Uh, at all you know he hasn't even been with his assistants too long for that much you know as it's it's a whole program trying to learn as much as possible and you just put on a bunch of lions players that have propped themselves as non-negotiables in between 
now and June in that period as well. Look at a guy like um, a guy that you didn't mention is uh, Rowan Janssen van Rensburg, who I think is. Oh, guarded. sorry, that was like the, the main the, guy. The man, How did I let the, that man go? the man has to be in the frame for number Jeez, twelve. He's the hardest. most balanced center in the country at the moment. I was me. actually about I don't know how I forgot him. I was just so I just um, don't want to forget Marks. But the thing is, Janssen van Rensburg, prime example. That backline for the box wasn't firing because Dallander wasn't passing. Lionel Mapu, who is brilliant, and say what you want about the void between Super International, he will make that step. But he had an inside center. He didn't know what he was going on between the two of them. Yeah, and I think we also have to work out different phases to bring outside backs and from different sets of phase play as well. As well, I agree that Dale Ender, and this has been true of him at the Stormers as well, hasn't passed enough, and a lot of play dies with him, yeah. is that we have to have other phases of play where we bring in outside backs as well. I think there's been a little bit of a premonition of, well, Lionel Mopu doesn't get the ball because Dale Ender doesn't pass. It's not quite as simple as that. It's not like every single move in rugby goes 9, 10, yeah. 12, 13, 14, you know? Um, We'd like to look at the displacement on that. I mean, Ma Nonu went crash ball a lot in sure. a side that won two World Cups. So I, I think there's different ways that we need to bring the outside blacks into play as well. Yeah, but I think Janssen van Rensburg is an example of a young center that could pull off both roles depending on what the the match situation and oh, the scrum situation he's, would he's allow. He's just so impressive. The try guy. he scored on Saturday was just a fantastic barging line you know it's just that little bit better than a one-off runner which is sometimes all that's necessary sometimes in, in rugby you know and yet he can still play his function in terms of getting his outside backs into play exactly. as well i just think for a young guy who's got yeah. so much brute force and strength his um his decision making is exceptional he seems mm. to have a lot of time there's a lot going on there and then you have to just draw on the, uh, the fact that as you see it hasn't a lot of prep time right but now you're almost being gifted a 9 10 11 12 13 sorry 9 10 12, 13, 14 yeah. that know each other back to front. How do you not go in with that? I know. I know. But then you've got to obviously, oh, there's just so many different things at play here. This Absolutely. poor dude. Absolutely. It is, it's, oh, it's, 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 it's the hardest job in rugby by quite some way. Busting a cold sweat there. So we've got some good problems and then we've got some bad problems. Of course, mm. I don't believe you need to have a thousand people to make a great box side, you know, just get down to the numbers, but it's about what happens from here and how we learn from this Lions team. You know, no matter what happens from here on in, the Lions have been a massive success in Super Rugby mm. this year, but it's how we are going to learn the lessons. Robbie Fleck, just in closing, I just want to talk about the Stormers again. Um, you think about it, what a season could have been, okay? Take the beginning of Super Rugby here. Just got Eddie Jones to take a young and gifted side with a couple of stalwarts here and there into the top mm. of Super Rugby. Everyone in Cape Town thought this is the year, finally. Eddie Jones goes. England become this amazing force of world rugby again. And now we're stuck with Robbie Fleck basically licking his wounds off taking 60 points in the quarterfinal. It's amazing. You could always say what, what could have been. But the big question is, what is going to be? Now, Flex mm. says that he would like to spend some time with, with uh, Jones. He wants to learn from other coaches. Sean, just your thoughts on, should Fleck be the long-term coach? Or is this very much a year of just making the best of, of a late uh, withdrawal? And we're going to look again for another coach. Well, the first point of call that I want to spend answering that question is, if you're going to replace Fleck, you need to come up with a name that's going to definitely improve the situation. Yeah. So that would be my first that, that, that would be the first quarter call. If there isn't, then you still have to keep Fleck on as a year by Yeah, base. it's not like That's, a situation where you're going to elevate Paul True into the position. Or exactly. Like that. You know, it's going to have to be a big, heavy hitter. Exactly. The, 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 the criteria shouldn't just be, if, if you want to get rid of Fleck, shouldn't just be who's not Robbie Someone Fleck. Else, yeah. You know, that's not the way to entice this problem because you're just going to, because you're just going to magnify your own problems, really. Uh, sorry, just on that, um, Mundley, you should actually be in the studio. Again, I mean, I feel just as bad. <laughs> Not only have I left out um, Jans from Rensburg, but Skorsan as well. Kortno Skorsan. Why would, on earth would we leave him out of this discussion as well? Sorry, Mundley. Without you, I'm actually useless today. <laughs> it further proves my point. Yeah. The Lions team has become... Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Mundley. Well spotted. Back to you about getting rid of Flex. It's not going to happen unless there's someone that really is going to be a worthwhile concern. Yeah. But let's just look at the kind of diagnosis of what Robbie Fleck has done as well. I realize it was a tricky position that he overtook. Yeah. You, you know, you come in there under, uh, you come in there underprepared as well because of all the mixed match with Eddie Jones and John Mitchell as well. Don't forget as well. There was also prepping yeah. for him to take over. That took, um, uh, like two months, six weeks, let's say out of yeah. uh, preparation as well. But, the, the fact of the matter is, is that for the Stormers' problems in the last couple of years, it seemed to go, as the season went on, it seemed, those self-same problems just seemed to get more magnified and more magnified as the season went on. I'm going to exclude the little three-week 
jamboree that they had against the teams like the Rebels and the Force and the Kings, <laughs> where the bonus points are flying and everyone pats themselves on the back, and then yeah. we play sides that are actually going to be contenders, and then Saturday scoreline show against the jet lagged side. So, in, in, in that sense, I coldly I don't see what Robbie Fleck has brought that the Stormers need in the future. I haven't seen sparks of that that need to get encouraged in a in a squad that should be right up there mm. in terms of talent-wise in this country and experience-wise in this country and guys at their peak age-wise as well. Yes, they've lost some players as much as the others, but they've also tied down more than most unions apart from the Lions possibly in the last yeah. while. So I, the, the, the main problem with Robbie Fleck is, is this, if not Robbie Fleck, then who? That's the first port of call, I would say. And if there isn't an available one that can definitely take the RB forward in this country, then I'm afraid that we're going to have to look to, in the same way that South African coaches must focus more on upskilling their own players, Western Province must make a system to upskill Robbie Fleck in his coaching. Yeah, and, and to that... Uh, Which I, is not impossible, of course. Well, exactly. And I actually applaud Fleck for saying, you know, obviously he just had the biggest dicking of his Stormers life, really. As yeah. a player, as a coach, all that rolled in. Yeah. But his big thing is that he wants to go out and learn from other coaches, which is great. I mean, Absolutely. I still don't quite or, work or, out... Like, like on that level, I mean, sorry, he's been blasted a lot, but fair play, more humility from South African coaches is necessary in this country. Sure. There's been a lot of guys that have approached the media as an us and them mentality. Yeah. I know it all and you sit down and listen. But we need more guys to say, listen, I am open, way more open to growth than other coaches have been in the past. It's so brilliant. I do applaud that. And uh, especially if these guys haven't got a lot on the go right now, go spend a month with Eddie Jones, whatever it is, regardless of yeah. the exchange rate and the fact that Robbie will probably drink most of the budget. <laughs> but like Nakajotsky went to England and then he came back and resigned as, as free state coach. Whatever happened to him? Whatever happened to that? Absolutely. It's like there's got to be bigger pl- plans at play here. And I, I hate like you know flogging a dead horse with this kind of stuff, but we know we've got great players in this country. The Lions are showing it. The Lions are one example of packaged performance, right? The players are still there. There's no yeah. way all the names you mentioned are gushing over about the Lions. There's no way that Absolutely. pound for pound there's not better players in this country. Absolutely. And, it's, and the same has got to be said for transformation. We know the talent's out there. And that it can get become more. Exactly. You know, it's like, and yes, we have, which is a major problem is that like, I think the number is over 300 now of South African professionals applying their trade overseas, which will take a hit. Sure. But you cannot tell me that the sum of these results is a direct reflection of the talent available in this country. No. All the talent coming through. I know it's only South African boys playing South African boys, but you know, Craven Week was just the other day. And just like last year and the year before, there's a whole bunch of talent that you get encouraged by and the seeing the speed like, of play and what was yeah, going and on. And style there. and skills of boys that we could definitely progress yeah. forward. So I'm not buying that we can't get in a better position purely with our current structures. No, I totally agree. So. Well, Sean, I have to quickly touch on the US PGA or the PGA Championship for the weekend, but uh, where can we get more of your insights? Because, well, you're one of the few guys who are very pragmatic about what's really going on in this country. Well, for a start, easier starts. Follow me on Twitter. That's generally my where I just empty the mind. Some of it's tongue in cheek. Some of it's like kind of stats related. So just see me at simply Sean underscore. And, and that's Sean with a S-E-A-N. Yeah. And yeah. the truth is I do a lot of my stats work and analysis work behind the scenes at the most. So mysteriously, some of you readers probably read my stuff more often than you think you do. And you don't want to tell people about that, huh? No, I don't. It's out there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, Sean's doing doing a good thing for SA Rugby and just uh, we'll try to have him back at some stage in the future, maybe with the Rugby Championship because there's another whole can of worms. But we've got to quickly just finish off. Sean, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I just got to quickly finish off with the PGA Championship, right? Now, this is a, the fourth major of the year. When you win this, you're still known as a major winner. It was Jason Day's first ever major last year. He got 20 under par, which was a record until Stenson now equaled it with the Open. But this year, it's like the, the what? The, the, the Open Championship was like a couple of weeks ago. Um, and hey, what do you know? This weekend is major week. No one really cares. It's being completely overshadowed. It's a great tournament. It's a tournament that goes back to 1916. It was first played. Some of the biggest names in golf have picked up the Wanamaker Trophy. It is the biggest, most fancy trophy of them all. This is an event that the golf needs to kind of do more with, I think. And it's an absolute shame. I know it's an Olympic year, so things are a bit different. And it has been overshadowed because basically there's the Open. Um, then there's this Canadian Open happened last week. A lot of players were playing there too because they do that and then USPGA. It's been played at Baltus Roll, which is a old favorite amongst American uh, major courses. 
But there's just such a low-key intro to this because people haven't had time to actually get excited about it. So the Olympics takes place two weeks after this, the golf, that is. But I think let's just forget about this year's USPGA Championship. It's going to be a great championship. The world's best players are there. Uh, many of them aren't going to the Olympics because of it. So it's going to be exciting no matter what. But I think it, the time has f- well and truly come now where this fourth major mustn't be seen as this sort of lesser, ugly sister of all the majors. They need to do something with this. And... um I, I can't speak more, you know, as you know, I'm very passionate about golf. I think it's a fantastic sport and more, more people should know about it because it's a sport that, to my knowledge, there's no drug cheats. Um, there's very little shit news in, in, in golf. Okay. The guys pulling out of the Olympics, that's been one bad blight in the copybook. But otherwise, this is a sport we should be putting a lot of time and effort into because it's a great example to youngsters. The USPGA, the PJ Championship, call it what you will. It's a really great event. I think it'd be even better if they just had to well and truly restore it back to what it was, a match play major. Because when people look at the end of the year, they go, okay, it's the fourth major and it's stroke play. What if we go back to how it was between 1916 and 1957? We make it the match play major. Suddenly this thing is like the biggest deal. You know, in, in Ryder Cup years, people often look at this as the final way to score points. I mean, this isn't just some, some diddly event. This is a major. You win the, you're a major champion. So something's got to be done about this. They've got to restore the pride, the glory, the everything, and stop playing it as like a watered-down US Open as well. This needs to be played on unique courses, really challenging layouts. It needs to be match play. It needs to be a standalone event because right now it's just basically a fancy PGA Tour event with a $10 million purse and a little bit more excitement from the media. The USPGA Tour, oh, sorry, they don't own it. It's the PGA Championship, so it's Professional Golf Association. There's got to be more done around this. And uh, as a South African who loves golf, let me be the first to say it right here on Monday morning. On the week of this major, change the format. Get it back to being one of the things that people really, really are excited about. And that is my uh, two cents on that golf. We have run out of time. It's been an action-packed show. Follow Sean on, on Twitter at simply Sean underscore and um yeah i'll be back next week we're gonna have i'm taking a bit of a break uh i really need a holiday quite soon so i'll be looking to pre-record some interviews but like full-length interviews with bloody interesting people i can promise you that much so look out for it and for the full show today which includes the podcast and the, the clips um the bounce so you'll find it i'm gonna finish off with the latest from the aussie man and then i'll catch you next week aussie man review this time talking about AFL leg breaks as opposed to a soccer toe bruise. A Russian Olympian looking to score steroids from Vladimir Putin. Oh, and Wallace trips himself up. He has written his own ticket to destination fucked. It seems farcical and comical until you realise it's actually fair dinkum, bloody horrific. Generally, we worry about concussion from the head hitting the ground, but the brain is of secondary importance when you're able to snap your tibia and fibula in a fucking millisecond. He will absolutely be kicked himself over this injury. I'm so sorry. I instantly apologise for the pun. This is not a punny situation. Anyway, over at the soccer, here comes a big hit to the toes. That's chipped a nail, and boy is he feeling it. It's even triggered pain in his shin somehow. Aussie rules is fucking child's play compared to this horrific devastation of a shoelace. I can't actually watch this. I can't bring myself to conjure up a pun it's too much Cliff Central. I've got something important to tell you.